I'm going to start by praying. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word, that we can listen to it um, and that you use it by the power of your Holy Spirit um, to transform who we are. And so, Lord, we pray that you will be with us, that you will be giving us ears to hear and hearts to understand what it is you want to say to us today and that this will stick with us into the coming week, whatever it is that you want to say, that we'll hold on to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what does it mean to be blessed? As I read through the Bible reading for today, I was struck by the repetition of the label blessed, especially in the first part of the passage. Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And then again, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. She also implies that she herself is blessed when she asks, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? And then Mary takes over talking about blessing. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So there's a lot of blessed in this passage. But what does it mean to be blessed? I think blessed and blessing and bless is a set of words we use a lot in church because it's used a lot in the Bible. But it's one of those words that maybe we use so much that we stop thinking about what it means. We might even call it part of our Christian jargon. Um, a word that's shorthand for a more complicated concept. And so it's good to think again about what blessed means because at times we can find other ideas have crept into our definition while we're not watching. So I think outside of church, um, we see blessed most as a hashtag, which I can tap on. Yes, excellent. Um, if you're a social media user of any kind, I'm sure that you will be familiar. Um, and even if you're not, you probably, possibly, have heard of it anyway. Um, this idea of hashtag blessed. Um, I think it's often a genuine attempt to express humility and gratitude. Like, I look around at the wonderful things in my life, and my heart wells up with joy, and I want to share it. But also, I realize I don't really deserve any of these things, and I'm pretty grateful for them, so I'll put hashtag blessed. But sometimes it's also, I kind of want to show off about my overseas holiday, or my flawless skin, or my amazing job, or my adorable children, but I don't want to seem too showy-offy, so hashtag blessed. And of course, with the speed at which things evolve on the internet, it's also used ironically or sarcastically or cynically, and there's a host of voices ready to jump in and judge if you should be using hashtag blessed or not. Um, I even discovered when I was Googling the hashtag um, that they, they only this year they have made a Christmas movie which is called hashtag blessed. Um, <laughs> According to the IMDB synopsis, 
It is about a woman who is suffering from comparisonitis, where she looks at the social media feeds of friends who seem to have it all, and she needs a good dose of the Christmas spirit. So our culture is teaching us that blessed is a word to use when, to describe ourselves when life is going really well for us. So it's a word that looks, it's for a life that looks perfect. Um, or, sorry, a life that is perfect, maybe not. A life that looks perfect, is picture perfect. But is that what it meant for Mary and Elizabeth? Is Mary hashtag blessed? Does she have it all? Is she going to give us comparisonitis as we look at her story today? What does it mean to be blessed? I think the story is going to show us that being blessed means being invited to participate in God's story. I'll say that again. Being blessed means being invited to participate in God's story. But let's have a look at the story together and see what we find. So our passage splits up pretty naturally into two parts. So we've got verse 39 to 45, where Mary arrives and greets Elizabeth, and verse 46 to 56, Mary's song of praise and joy about what God has done. So we will take a closer look at those two parts, and then we'll talk about what the passage might mean for us. So let's look together at part one. We pick up with Mary in verse 39 and she is in a hurry, a hurry to get to Elizabeth. Why is this? Well, remember last week we looked at the section before this where Mary gets the life-altering news that she's been chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, a baby that will be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, even though Mary is a virgin. And part of the message from the angel Gabriel is that Mary's relative, Elizabeth is also miraculously pregnant. Pregnant after a lifetime of barrenness, pregnant in her old age by her husband Zechariah, and even now she's reached six months. And so Mary's response is to hurry to Elizabeth's house from Nazareth, Nazareth all the way to the hill country of Judea, which again, according to my Googling, was about 145 kilometers. So she doesn't just take that long journey Karen showed us before, she has already taken one before she heads off to Bethlehem. So why is her response to the news, uh, let's go on a road trip? Well, I wonder if Mary does it partly because she wants to see the confirmation of God's promise with her own eyes. She herself would have been in very early stages of pregnancy and there wouldn't be much to see or feel, perhaps, um, but six months of pregnancy is a lot easier to see. And in the verse before this one, Mary expresses her faith in God's promise. So she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. But when she goes to see Elizabeth, she actually gets to see God's word being fulfilled. Seeing Elizabeth pregnant, just like the angel said, will help strengthen her belief in everything else that the angel has said. And also, and probably just as importantly, Elizabeth might be the, one of the only people who gets what's going on for her. Because what life experience actually compares to a supernatural, only once in the whole of human history pregnancy, a virgin pregnancy, 
Maybe the only thing that would even come close is the supernatural pregnancy of an, a lady who has been barren and is postmenopausal and is in her old age. And Elizabeth does get it. She totally gets it. We see it in the next passage. I love the picture of joy between these two women as they greet each other. Like an Old Testament prophet, Elizabeth is filled with the spirit and she exclaims blessing over Mary and her baby in words that echo the blessing and the greeting that was given by Gabriel. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth knows exactly who Mary's baby is without even having to be told. And then the baby, um, Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, as we know, um, also joins in with the joy, um, leaping around, doing in utero acrobatics, um, and confirming that this baby Mary is carrying is Jesus, the Son of God. And then Mary breaks out in joyful song. I really love that God chose to put Mary and Elizabeth in the same family. You know, like he didn't have to. It may, like John the Baptist and Jesus, I don't think they have to be related for everything to fit together. Um, but this is the kindness of God. Mary and Elizabeth are related. So in the midst of these strange and wonderful pregnancies, they get to have someone else who really understands, who really knows what's going on. The other thing that strikes me about this picture is the confidence that these women have. I'm amazed that they have this kind of confidence in the word of God to them because I think if I had been in Elizabeth's shoes, the way I would have shared the message from God would have been like, mm, I think maybe what God might be saying potentially, but keep in mind, that may be way off here and this seems super random, but I think you might be the mother of my Lord. But that is not how Elizabeth shares her prophecy. <laughs> She's utterly confident as she speaks it out. She expresses no hesitation. Mary is the mother of my Lord and she is joyful about it. And Mary, we can see, has moved from being so troubled when she first heard from the angel to being overflowing with joy, incandescent with joy. She's so sure she is blessed that she confidently expects that all generations are gonna join Elizabeth to call her blessed. And notice what it is that makes her blessed. Not any particular beauty or wealth or wisdom or good fortune of her own, but that she has been chosen by God to participate in his story and that she has believed his promises to her. I think this confidence is especially striking when we think about how these pregnancies would have been received by the wider community. Because Mary's story is hard to believe. Not just now, in modern times, but back then as well. People have always known how babies come, and this is not usually how it's done. Um, Luke doesn't really mention it, but Matthew starts his retelling of Jesus' birth by saying that Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. It sounds a bit like found out to be pregnant. And we know that when Joseph heard the news initially, his plan was to divorce her quietly, rather than exposing her to public disgrace. So it's easy to be cynical about Mary's story, and many are, like even today. Um, from an outsider's perspective, this looks like a girl who got pregnant outside of marriage, 
in a society where that was definitely not okay. And then she chose the most unbelievable and they would say even blasphemous lie to cover it up. But Luke doesn't focus on that. This account is pure joy with no hint of possible disgrace. And I think we should wonder why. To use another social media analogy, is it kind of like Luke has a photo with a filter on it? And all the messiness and hardships have been blurred and smoothed out and it's just a Christmassy picture that is full of warmth and light. And then Matthew maybe gives a more gritty, like grainy, realistic shot. No, I don't think so. I think what we're getting is insider knowledge. He's inviting us into the story from the inside. Because the thing about that cynicism, even though it's understandable, and it kind of makes sense, it's wrong. It's not the truth. Mary and Elizabeth know the truth. They're the ones who've had the direct message from God. And so they know that Mary is not a disgrace. Her baby is not a shame. Instead, it is a blessing. The biggest blessing the world is ever gonna see, in fact. Both Mary and Elizabeth are pregnant when, by all earthly wisdom, they shouldn't be. It's not something that they could achieve by their own power. And it's been announced and confirmed by multiple visits from angels. And there's more angel visits to come. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they know that the children that they will give birth to have important parts to play in God's story. And so do they. So when we read about the joy and the confidence and the faith of Mary and Elizabeth, we are invited to be insiders too to join them in praising God for the incredible and surprising things, the surprising truth of what he has done for them. And that brings us to part two, Mary's song. Mary's song starts out very personal. It's flowing out of the joy of God's blessing to her, his invitation to her to play such a special part in his story, to be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior King. He could have chosen anyone maybe a rich and privileged woman of high estate, but in mercy and love and kindness, he has seen her, paid heed to her, chosen her, his humble servant. And in expressing her joy, she pulls from her knowledge of the Old Testament and quotes some phrases and echoes of the Psalms and Isaiah and Samuel kind of scatter their way through her song. Her joy is not just for herself, but for all her people, because she recognizes that in choosing her for the mother of the Messiah, the, it means the Messiah is coming. God is finally fulfilling his promises that he made starting back with Abraham. She begins to list the ways that God does unexpected things. He turns our expectations on their head. He shows mercy to the poor. He scatters the proud. He brings down rulers. He lifts up the humble. He feeds the hungry. Remembering God's faithfulness in the past fuels her confidence about what he's going to do in the future. The picture I get from her song is like a long chain of people stretching down from mother to son, father to daughter, ancestors to descendants, all the way up to Abraham and all the way down to Mary and the child she carries, generation to generation, all connected by one thing, 
the love and faithfulness and promise keeping that they have seen from the God they serve. Mary might not know it, but as she praises God for who he has been, she is also speaking about who her child, her blessed child, will be. Because if blessed means to be invited to participate in God's story, then Jesus is the ultimate blessed one. He is the primary and most important participant in God's story, being both the author of the story and the completer of the story. And because of our place in history, we know how this song is going to be fulfilled in Jesus throughout the rest of Luke's gospel and beyond. If you look at the passage, can you see it? So verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds. Jesus will perform mighty deeds. He'll heal the sick, raise the dead, set the captives free. Jesus will also know the proud thoughts of those who would oppose him and see them turn back ashamed. In verse 52, he will reject rulers who seek to follow him and raise up humble men and women to be his disciples. In verse 53, he's going to fill the hungry with good things. He's going to do that with loaves and fishes um, in a physical way, but he's going to feed millions more people uh, spiritually through his body and blood. And then 54 and 55, Jesus will be the ultimate help to Israel and the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to them. Through Jesus, God continues to show mercy to generation after generation, widening out that mercy beyond Mary, beyond Elizabeth, beyond Abraham, beyond the people of Israel, to offer an invitation to be blessed to all the people. So that brings us back to our first question. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, I think we can see something that it can't mean by looking at the story. It can't mean a easy, comfortable, picture-perfect life. We do not hear that much about Mary after this first couple of chapters. But the little mentions that we get tell us that she will follow Jesus around for some of his ministry, trying to care for his needs, at times anxious about his decision-making, at least once fearful about his sanity. She will be there to witness his heartbreaking, excruciating death on the cross. And then she will also be there with the disciples after the resurrection and Jesus returned to heaven to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So it's a complicated life, full of great joy, but also deep sadness. But it's spent participating in God's story. Not an easy life. Not one that will fit neatly with a caption, hashtag blessed, underneath. I don't think we are going to get comparisonitis from Mary. But the good thing is, what that means is you don't have to be hashtag blessed to be part of God's story. You don't need a picture-perfect life. In fact, we know he lifts up the humble and he fills the hungry and he shows goodness to the poor. So the invitation is to all of us with complicated lives, which aren't always as blessed as they might look on social media. Well, blessed in that other sense, hashtag blessed. They are blessed because God has asked us to be part of his story. The invitation that was open to Mary is open to us as well. 
Now, obviously, we are not going to be invited to be Jesus' earthly mum. That role is taken. It is already finished. Um, However, (laughs) we are all invited to be part of God's story, to say yes to all the things he wants to do in our lives and to find the great joy and wonder of being chosen by him. And if you're here at church and you haven't accepted God's invitation to receive his son as your saviour and join that long line of people who love him, this is an open invitation for you at Christmas. And come and talk to someone, Mark or Karen or me or other members of Oak Tree to find out more. However, I think most of us have already said yes. We are already willing participants in God's story. We're already blessed. So then the question for us is what does that look like for our lives? How is God inviting us to participate in his story? That story that stretches from generation to generation continues. We're part of the chain. What does it look like for us this week? So what does that look like for me to be part of God's story? I have to go back to school for two more days, almost there, with my class of grade fours and finish the school year with my colleagues and stay patient and stay kind and help them not hurt each other as they finish. Um, God is already at work at my school. He's already, he's or, his story is already happening there. So how's he inviting me to be part of it? What does it look like for you as you go to work or school in this week before Christmas? God is already outworking his story in your workplace and your school. How is he inviting you to be part of that? What does it look like for you as you spend time with friends or family at Christmas? God is already at work in your friends and family's lives. And how's he inviting you to be part of that? What does it look like for you as you spend time on social media this Christmas? God is already at work in the virtual space as well. How's he inviting you to be part of it? Now, these are not questions that are necessarily easy to answer, and that's why I'm asking them rather than answering them. Um, However, I do encourage you that as you prepare to celebrate Jesus' birth this week, as you make last-minute preparations, as you struggle with conflict and sadness and loneliness that sometimes come, um, or as you look forward with joy to a wonderful celebration, as you cope perhaps with being very, very tired after a long few weeks, a long few years, um, ask God to show you one way he's already at work, wherever you are, and ask him to show you one way he would like you to be involved. You might not get an angelic visitation or a miraculous pregnancy, but who knows, you might. But you can trust that God is faithful, that the one who has already done so many mighty, wonderful things is still doing them today, and that we are blessed when we believe that the Lord fulfills his promises to us. Let's pray. Father God, we are so privileged to be part of your story, to have been invited to participate in what you're doing in the world. Thank you that we are part of the same chain as Mary was, the chain of people who have seen your love and faithfulness expressed to them from generation to generation. Pray that you will show us this week what it looks like to be part of your story in our particular place, the place that you have called us. 
just pray that you will show us how you're already at work without us having to do anything and that we will, like Mary, be able to sing songs of glory and praise and thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand and sing a, sing a, a carol? <laughs>